0: Uh, eight o'clock on the dot, so we'll give it a couple more minutes. But I think while we're waiting, why don't we just go ahead and just do some uh, introductions of those owners that are on the call now? And uh, Russell, let's start with you and Elizabeth.
1: Where uh, are you, and what's your story? It's actually Russell and Kelly. So Elizabeth, Elizabeth, oh, Kelly, Elizabeth yeah. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Alan and
2: Elizabeth.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's Alan and Elizabeth. Oh, yeah. So, Russell and Kelly, we are on um, Leap of Faith, which is a 2006 Antares, which we've owned for a year. And due to COVID, uh, we've been on the East Coast this whole year, and currently we're in Wilmington, North Carolina. And uh, we'll sit here for about, like I said, about a month and then uh, get ready to jump down to Puerto Rico. So, looking forward to that. Thanks. Thanks. Jason, how about you?
2: I'm not sure if I counted as an owner or more Mark's Video Backup. I uh, <laughs> own a boat named Two Fish, which we sold a few years ago.
0: And you're located where, Jason? now? In New York or where else?
2: I've moved to south. I hibernate like birds. I'm south uh, in St. Peter- Petersburg, Florida.
3: Um, yeah, hi everyone. Uh, as most of you know, I'm landlocked in Sydney. Uh, my Andari salon is sitting in a boatyard near Athens. And uh, I'm not sure when I can get there, but uh, I'm hoping um, next year, 2021, will be the year. Um, uh, and just for those who don't know, I've owned Salan since 2010, um, and you know, my, my sailing has on Salan has been around the Mediterranean, so um, I, I've got a slightly different story to tell.
0: That's good. Thank you, uh, Russ. And uh, my name is Mark Silverstein, and we are stuck here in the Philippines. We've been here now for eight months and counting. Our goal is to get to Malaysia. We've been on board our boat now for uh, nine years full time, and I've had a great time, um, but we are stuck, and that's a little bit challenging sometimes. Uh, let's see if I have anybody else as far as Interiors owners that have joined. Feel free to jump in. If not, we'll get started. The primary purpose of this call is to go through and discuss maintenance, uh, spare parts, and any other uh, service issues um, as it relates to us sailing aboard our Antares. So I'll I'll get things kicked off with some of my perspective on some of the biggest maintenance issues that we've had aboard our boat. Um, The biggest one by far was replacing the um, Volvo engines. That was something that uh, took us quite a bit of time to get the boat ready to actually replace the engines the engines were not replaced by the way because they had because of any mechanical issue uh they were replaced as a voluntary recall from volvo um, and that recall allowed owners u.s flag vessels to get basically getting brand new d240s so we had three thousand hours on our old ones this is my old engine you can see on the slide being pulled out and we had new engines put in that was quite the process to do but the good news was the access was easy the engines are heavy. And that was kind of the big challenge. Um, The other issue that we had early on with the boat is the water maker solenoid uh, breaking and why that was an issue um, for us is we didn't have a spare one on board, number one. And number two with no solenoid and not a lot of experience, you know, nine years ago, eight years ago, we had no water that we could make until we figured out the solution. So that was um, at that point, a fairly big issue for us with, four people on board, and that was a challenge, but we were able to get it figured out and mitigate it. We were in the Caribbean when it happened, and um, now it's a non-event, but it's something that was that was big at the time. Um, we also had another issue aboard field trip when we were sailing in Fiji, and unbeknownst to us, underneath the engine, the raw water, seawater uh, hose, it's a, it's a big thick black hose, on the uh bulbo engines was actually vibrating on the bottom of the oil pan and you guessed it after a certain period of time it chafed a hole on the bottom of the oil pan and we had oil in the bilge engine lights going on no no oil in the engine and that was a complete mess because the access to that oil pan underneath the engine is not trivial without lifting the engine up to get to it whether it be mounted you know where it was or in, in some some other other location, just the access to that was a challenge. So we went without one engine for a long time. I had some uh, JB Weld Epoxy Putty that I was able to actually put on the bottom. That's a, that's a gold by the way, the JB Weld Epoxy Putty. And I put that on the bottom, was able to temporarily salvage it until we got to New Zealand to get it properly fixed. Um, and then the last big maintenance issue that we had on field trip that, that, that is uh, probably the scariest is we had leaking a leaking fuel line on our generator. And what ended up happening is uh, because it was leaking so much fuel, the intake on the diesel was sucking in diesel fumes, uh, misty diesel fuel, and it was hot enough where it, it it started to rev up and the engine went into what's called runaway diesel engine. If you've ever had that happen, it's very scary. You cannot shut it off without without stopping, physically stopping the air intake on it which i did not know at the time and so we had this engine going crazy smoke coming off our uh, off our gen set and um you know fire extinguishers in our hands and it was one of those very scary things i thought we were going to have a fire on the boat uh, with our generator um, fortunately what ended up happening is i opened up the panels on the generator it got enough air in there um to actually not just be pure diesel fumes that it was kind of recycling and um ultimately um, it stopped and Fortunately, the engine was not damaged um, other than just simply a big scare, lots of smoke, and, and my wife, who couldn't sleep the whole night after that happened. So those are the big issues I had on my side. Um, anybody else want to jump in? I see Russell laughing. Uh, anybody else want to jump in?
1: For me, it's uh, it's funny. You know, We don't have the Volvo engines because we have the little bit older boat, So we have the Yanomars. And... Our biggest maintenance issue on those has been the exhaust elbows. You know, the obviously the uh, the caustic exhaust with the seawater and you know just getting minuscule leaks through there and keeping an eye on it and making sure they don't, you know, get too big before you get a hold of them and, and correct that issue. Um, we have an Ecotech water maker, and for us it's been it's been pretty solid. We haven't had too many issues with it, thankfully. I did have to rebuild the high pressure pump, but that was more to it sitting for a period of time versus you know anything to do with it actually running. Um, and other than that, I, I I guess we've been blessed. Our boat really hasn't had uh, too many maintenance issues, and so you know we've been we've been pretty fortunate. We do all of our own work, so we fix everything that does break. But uh, so I'm pretty intimately involved with everything when it does happen. But We've been uh, pretty fortunate so far.
0: Uh, Russ, how about you? Any any uh, issues? Any big maintenance issues that you've had aboard your boat from the last ten years?
3: Uh, no, I have to likewise agree with Russell. I've, nothing really major. You know, there are always little little things. You know, like a water pump goes, yeah. and so okay, you just pull it out and put another one in. So um, also, I, I haven't been a long way away from. Um, help, as it were, sailing around the Mediterranean, you know, you're always able to say, oh, well, we'll we'll, won't worry about that. I mean, I sailed around with a leaking um, uh, prop seal um, for months, you know, and it just meant that I had to go and bail out half a bucket of water a day, something like that, and uh, worried about it when we hauled the boat out um, for the winter. So, yeah, this—I mean—I had a lot of trouble with a watermaker, but it, it, it's not, nothing. To, it's really just to do with a poor installation that was an aftermarket installation by the previous owner. So, you know, the, I think we've probably all got these stories about one or two things that have really just peeved us and have been an absolute headache and gone on and on and on. Um, and in the end, they get fixed quite simply when you when you eventually track down the source and speak to the right person?
2: Well, I'll just jump in with my little spiel, if that's okay. Um, um, Sounds good. So my, pers- my perspective was, I probably wouldn't have when I first understood most of the conversation that just occurred. And so I thought I'd go through a few things that you know I, th- I think other owners will find incredibly basic, but were new to me, and just to explain to some people that are in the same situation I was in, uh, what they're going to end up learning. So I started off with the anti-siphon valve, which on the Antares is really easy. It's just in one of the lockers where you may store books. And you move the books aside, and it reveals this picture on the left. And the anti-siphon valve exists so that when the boat is sailing and not motoring, water doesn't come up through the sea and enter the engine and flood it and that's a really bad thing you know a siphon could form and this little contraption allows air to get in there to prevent a siphon from forming however sometimes salt crystals or who knows what little small red crabs want to clog it up and allow the water to run through there continuously so you should check on this once a month and you really the tools you need to do it are uh, a screwdriver and a pair of lips. Um, and so you just unscrew from the wall, and you look at it to make sure there's no gooky stuff there, and you blow on it softly, and you've done your monthly maintenance, which will prevent water coming in from your engine. And you do it because it's darn easy, and then you do it because it has huge benefits. The second thing that I was crazy about, this is these are my engines when I got to Australia after four and a half years.
1: Wow.
2: Um, I I kept them super duper clean. If I ever had a stain or a scratch, I'd sand it and repaint it. Um, And the reason I did it is because the cleaner you keep, your bilges, your engines, uh, the easier it is to identify problems. If you have a dirty uh, bilge or a dirty engine, you just go, oh, that was there before. And when it was clean, I was able to easily identify this problem. This is a very common problem. It's a, a wear problem, so it's it's designed to fail this way. What's photo there is a water pump, and that runs all day and when you're motoring, and uh, it cools the engine. However, because it's sucking in salt water, the bearing in there over time will wear out, and it's designed that little gap there is designed to leak uh, salt water as that bearing fails, and also to let out a little bit of oil. It's not a good thing. But it means the engine will stay uh, clean, uh, and you find it by just slipping your hand under there. You'll feel fuel salt crystals, and it's a it's a job that uh, a, an intermediate or basic uh, marine person can do. It remove four bolts, put a new gasket in, uh, and you're off. And then you can rebuild your old water pump and have that as a spare. But you wouldn't see that unless you keep a clean engine. The other one that I think people are always worried about is, uh, let's say if the head stops working when you have uh, guests coming over. That's pretty unfun. We have a second head for sure, but, and you can operate a head if you just pour water into the bowl. It, it will work. But uh, occasionally, these guys, they're called solenoid valves, will stop working. And a solenoid valve has an electromagnet that pushes a little rod onto a piece of rubber and when the rubber gets pushed forward the water then can go charging into the bowl. Um, Now they can be rebuilt and rejiggered or you can just buy one and have it in the drawer and remove the four screws and the right hand side, those are called barbs, you take the hoses off the barbs and as the British say, Bob's your uncle, you've got a new solenoid valve installed and uh, the problem's fixed. And, and this doesn't require you to be uh, a water engineer. And it's really easy because you just line your belly. It sits in a very open space uh, right before the, the head. Um, a lot of boats, and I've been on one when it happened, uh, we were coming into the San Diego Yacht Club, 52-foot steel boat, and we lost steering. Uh, <laughs> it was a very humble boat without insurance. And so we were about to hit something very expensive. Uh, For those of you who don't know the San Diego Yacht Club, it it had the America's Cup for a while. Um, I believe some places in Australia had it as well. Um, But uh, it was because we hadn't checked the steering. It was a real pain in the butt to get to the steering. Well, on the interiors, I was checking my steering all the time. You just hop in this uh, rear locker because you're using your dive compressor or in the other locker you're using the water maker. And you just make sure that that big metal bar there is still one piece and you make sure the nut at the end of it's uh, tight enough that it's not going to come off. Um, There are a couple other areas you check in the steering system as well, but they're all very easy to get to. to. Uh, This is one of the other areas. Uh, This is underneath those seats in the back, uh, the rope lockers. And there's a the second system that you can check here, which takes two seconds. But those rubber hoses on the left, those are the drains in case your LPG tank uh, were to ever leak. Um, it would leak out those. So you have to make sure they're in good shape. Otherwise, they won't leak out into the ocean. They'll leak into your boat. And the last one is uh, Gail. She's sitting in the battery locker. Uh, but it's just another another area where sometimes you have to work on the boat uh, in front of her in the lower right hand corner. That's the windlass. And so uh, I never in all my time had any problem with the windlass, but I always checked it to make sure the connections were clean. And uh, she's sitting on top of the batteries. I used old technology. I used lead acid. So I was always watering them, which is a huge pain in the butt. And then that black box to the left of her is the brains for the radar. Um, and so all of those were things where you could sit in there and work on them and scratch your head for a while and, uh, and be comfortable, which was, to me, the key, key to maintenance.
3: But that's it, Mark.
2: Um, the other thing I had was the, the bilge
1: pumps were horrible. Um, and they were easily replaced and guaranteed by West Marine. I don't know if you guys have had those bilge pumps just fail without any notice or, but they were easily uh, pulled out and West Marine would just take them back and then give you a brand new one. If you were close to obviously a West Marine, we used to carry, I think two of them as a spare parts because uh, they, were, uh, they were, weren't reliable in any means, that's for sure.
0: So, so that's, that's a good segue into the uh, spare parts and um i just listed you know i think let me first just say this about spare parts in general um we tend to be overly conservative on field trip and we have loads of spare parts and and uh, spare hoses spare fittings spare everything pretty much we have a a spreadsheet i'm happy to share if anybody wants a spreadsheet of our spare parts i'd be happy to share it Um, but the important part is this um, you don't need everything that we have on board. FedEx can be a pretty good spare part deliverer if you're in locations in the world where you can get FedEx or UPS. Uh, but at a bare minimum, the key or critical uh, spare parts, I was just saying that, that in general, there, there are some critical spare parts that I think every boat should have on board. There are other spare parts that you can get delivered via FedEx or UPS if you're in those types of locations. Uh, but for sure, all consumables, uh, meaning filters, belts, your zincs, um, impellers, fuses, anything that is part of a regular service uh, routine on your boat, you need to have those as spare parts. It can be very difficult sometimes, for example, to find uh, the right size uh, fuel filters in particular. In some some locations for your engines, I've had problems even in New Zealand tracking down uh, the right the right part. Um, uh, so that's something to at least consider. I mentioned before the water maker solenoid. If you have a solenoid, you can also, uh, fix it so you don't need a solenoid and do a manual a manual turn um, and that that's actually a pretty good fix to do that but that's something that we have on board because of our bad experience that i mentioned before in the caribbean um outboard props so making sure that you've got the um at least at least a spare outboard prop if for some reason you accidentally hit a piece of coral and you damage that prop that's your car you may have problems uh freshwater pumps so um if you some reason have your fresh water pump stop working and I can assure you at some point it will you need to have a spare that way you can pump fresh water out to yourself we also have a manual uh, foot pump that we are sorry a hand pump that we have mounted in our galley that can be switched over to be seawater or fresh water so we have the ability to manually pump water for washing dishes uh, from the sea or from the fresh water side and then finally there's a really small pump, and you can see the, a picture of it here on the screen, the top right corner. It's called the, uh, at least the way our boat is set up. It's the genset uh, fuel pickup pump. So if for some reason this pump mm-hmm. fails, you can no longer run your generator because it will it won't have enough suction to suck the fuel from the tanks that are midship all the way to the starboard forward locker. And these are the main things that I listed that were critical. Uh, but anybody else want to jump in and just and just add what else you found was really key to have on board Russell or Jason or Gord or anybody else?
1: I think for us, I think you you sort of nailed it. It's really the consumables, and then you know we've run in like with our water maker, we don't have the solenoid issue, but I have had um, a high pressure hose go out, and fortunately was able to find one at a hydraulic shop in Bahamas, and it's a user replaceable fittings on it, which was nice. Um, But, you know, now, you know, because of that, now I have a little bit of high pressure hose that I keep on the the boat just because of that. So I think, you you know, you start with the standard consumables. And then as you start sailing and cruising, you find out sort of what your boat needs for consumables or or spare parts. Um, You know, remember, you don't have to have everything. You know, we've had, you know, when we bought the boat, there was a spare capstan on the boat. And I was like, well... I'm not sure that I need a spare, but since I'm getting a new chain, I'm going to put the new capstan on and just use it. So um, like you, we have a spreadsheet where uh, I, not only do I ch- track all of our spare parts, but I also track you know how many hours that we put before we change things and what date it was so that we have a sort of running tally of of uh, when things should be checked and when they should be changed and i think that's that's probably one of the important things when it comes to spare parts and maintenance is you know you should know when you're doing it and when it needs to be done
0: okay essential skills um, this is a this is a a question that kind of came up on our first call a little bit but i want to talk more about it and and i think that You know, if you plan on doing going offshore and cruising in remote areas, and remote areas meaning beyond maybe just the Caribbean, um, I think having some very basic electrical troubleshooting skills are important. Understanding um, uh, how to check for a failed circuit, understanding how to check for voltage, uh, current. Not complicated, but you do need a good meter to do that. And just understanding the basics. There's some very good books that you can buy that will allow you and teach you how to do that. Um, the same in my view applies for uh, diesel engine troubleshooting because you could get to a situation where maybe your engine's not running right or not running at all and how to be able to figure out, is it a fuel problem? Is it an electrical problem? Um, if, it's, if it's a fuel problem, is it a filter problem? Is it maybe a clogged, if you've got the Volvo engines, uh, is, it, is it a clogged um, injector? Uh, these types of things you can, check and figure out pretty quickly if you just have some basic skills and good books provide that that you can use as reference on board um clearly replacing impellers is something that you need to figure out how to do it's super simple um it's not complicated but you need to know what what an impeller is and how to change it um oil changes as well they're not hard to do um having a a pump to pump out the oil is is kind of nice a a manual pump or i had an electric pump to, to suck the oil out and um youtube is a a great tool if you have internet to pretty much fix anything on the boat Um, i've done i've done a lot of damage on my boat (laughs) using youtube because i've made some some silly mistakes in trying to fix an engine an an engine problem that i had um a long time ago i won't go into those stories it's it's uh it's somewhat embarrassing but i I made a dumb mistake um and caused a lot more problems down the road but anybody else want to add to what essential skills you think people will need when they go cruising i know that that russ um, and and Russell, both you guys are, can be somewhat hands-on. Maybe you have some some good good insight.
3: I uh, I'll jump in first, then then Mark. Uh, so um, I'm probably not as hands-on as, as you think. Um, coming from a, a very strong sailing background, uh, where I was used to sort of parking a, a a yacht in a marina, and we would just go out and race all the time. Um, and anything major would get fixed by other people. So, when I uh, bought Solan, I was actually overwhelmed by how much mechanical stuff there was, you know. I was absolutely fine on splicing lines and doing all sorts of things on rigging and how to get the boat to go faster under sail. Um, But I was an absolute gumby when it came to all the mechanical stuff. So, um, the other thing is that my usage pattern has, is, is quite different to a I, I In a good year, I spend about six to eight months on the boat, and then I go off and do other things. So I actually winter the boat every year. And so I tend to um, just get everything done um, in, in pre-season prepping of the boat. So, you know, it takes me about a week or 10 days to pack up the boat. And then, unfortunately, it takes me another say two weeks to, or two and a half weeks, to prep the boat at the beginning of the season. And that's because I'm getting everything serviced, everything done, Um, some of the things I do myself, other things I, uh, it's just easier and cheaper just to get the diesel mechanic on and he does the engines and the generator and that's done. Um, So I I tend to leave the cleaner jobs for myself.
0: (laughs) Good on you that that's good. How about you, Russell? What do you think and then um, and then Jason, we'll get you to, to weigh in too. go ahead
1: yeah for for us um I'm probably a little bit more the opposite. I'm a hundred percent hands on and I'm a firm believer at least for our boat that we'll try everything ourselves first, and uh usually I won't mess it up so bad that it can't be fixed again. Um, so far, we've been fortunate. And uh, we've been able to fix everything ourselves. I would say, you know, like to Russ's point, though, you know, some additional things between electrical and engine is know how, you know, know how to splice ropes, uh, know how to put an eye splice in. Um, I just made some new dock lines out of some three strand where I just back spliced it and put it out there because we're going to be leaving the boat, so I wanted some extra line, and we we had it on board, so we just spliced it up and did it. Um, you know, know how to to use a sail needle and a palm stitcher, and you know take care of some small sail issues if you have them. Uh, gel coat—it's another one. Usually, you're not going to make it worse. You know, somebody else can always fix it better if you don't like what you've done. But if you don't get out there and try it, and you, you just may not have a desire to, and that's fine. Some people just would rather have somebody else do it, and and if you. If that's the way you are, then that's great. I'm personally the type that likes to try it first. And then, you know, if it doesn't turn out quite the way I like it, I'll either try it again or then hire somebody to do it. But, um, you know, as far as electrical engine, I'd also say plumbing. That's the one thing that's been giving us a little bit of an issue that we're still struggling with. It hasn't been, you know, catastrophic for us. It's just an annoyance, but I'm still trying to track down a little bit of air ingress into the into the lines. So. That's, I would just say, you know, it's, it's your boat, it's your house. You know, if you want to work on it, feel free to, to do everything you want with it.
0: And that Brad brings up a pretty good point. And Jason, you were talking uh, while we were waiting for everybody to join about, you just got finished spending five days aboard another uh, catamaran doing a, a sail, And you mentioned something to me that, that stood out and that was, you were frustrated with having to do something with the engines when you have the design of the engine being in the aft locker. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because that is something that we didn't mention, but um, the interior's engines are midship. There are a number of reasons for that. Uh, shaft drive being one, balancing the weight being number two, accessibility being number three, and not necessarily in that order. Uh, but can you talk about that, Jason, a little bit?
2: Sure, I'd love to. You know, just before I do, one of the things I never realized an advantage of a shaft drive is is that the transmission fluid, or they call it sail drive fluid on a non-shaft drive. When you have a leak in your transmission oil in an Antares, it ends up in your bilge. You're like, oh my gosh, I got a problem. When you have a leak in your sail drive oil, it ends up in the ocean and you don't know you've lost your oil. So it's, a, it's an advantage I never realized we had on the Antares until, until recently. Anyway, on this particular boat, the engine shut down oil overheat light, oil uh, pressure light. And uh, so we went to check on the engine and the engine was obviously full at temperature. And uh, so I tried to hop into the locker, which I did, but it was a very precarious situation because the locker was so small and the engine, of course, is at 90 Celsius. And so you don't want your, I was wearing shorts, you don't want your leg to touch the engine. And so it was very difficult just to look around it and do the usual stuff. I mean, I did check the two oils. Um, after checking the two oils, I looked over and noticed that we had the world's largest fishing, uh, rope, big polypropylene rope wrapped around the propeller and the shaft. And so had to go swimming, but it was, it was something I very much missed from the interiors because in the interiors, you just lift the floor panel and you can stand or lie on your belly or whatever you like the best. And you can just watch the engine run. You can actually shift the engine very safely while uh, it's running. Uh, not from the cockpit, but, you know, manually shift the transmission and a variety of other things you can do uh, safely, at least I thought, uh, without getting burnt or getting uh, your hand caught in the fan belt.
0: Okay. So um, Eric has submitted some questions to us, and I'd like to uh, jump through these and get everybody to kind of weigh in. The first question is, um, is there something that that you didn't maintain that in hindsight you wish you had? That would be a lesson learned for a newbie um yes i will start that we had a a um i didn't do a good enough job when we first purchased our boat to really pay attention to saltwater ingress or leaking on the engine in particular on the seawater pump and we had a leak on our port engine that uh, was small it dripped, drip 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 but i didn't look close enough or frequently enough. And it created some corrosion, corrosion issues on the aluminum plate. It's it's a long story, but um, I was mad at myself for just being frankly lazy and not checking for any leaks on the engine. Salt water is bad. Um, It's highly corrosive. And that's probably the biggest, biggest thing I wish I would have done differently. Anybody else want to jump in? What that you might say in hindsight, you wish you would have done?
2: I have an easy one. Uh, We were coming into the Essex River in Connecticut into a crowded mooring field on a river with a decent amount of current. And when we pick up a mooring ball, we come in reverse. And so we were reversing up to pick up this mooring ball. And Gail says to me, you're coming in a bit quickly. And I knew that already I had to try to take the way off. I'd put the engines in the opposite direction. Instead of the boat slowing down, it just sped up more. And so I realized there's something completely wrong with my engines or who knows what it is. And using just one engine in the wheel, I managed to avoid crashing into other boats. And uh, it turned out, the, after the terror was over, we realized what had happened is I hadn't greased my Max props enough. The grease had washed out after a long trip up from Buenos Aires. So I, I then was a convert to greasing one's Max props uh, frequently and often. <laughs>
0: So what happened was you, they didn't actually switch, right? Correct. Ah, uh, ouch. <laughs> Sorry. Anybody else have anything else to weigh in on?
1: I think Any yeah, one thoughts? of the things that we just had that uh I actually had to go do in the water was the anodes. We they went quicker than what I thought. And so especially the ones on the um the props, uh they uh I went down to Finally, get a look at them. We were in some warmer water, water, and I was like, "Oh, it's about time I should probably check on these." And there was nothing there, so I was like, "Hmm, probably need to up my maintenance schedule on the on the zincs and and you know make sure that the uh, they're not melting quicker than what I would think they would." So,
0: okay. So the uh, next question from Eric is: Have you ever beached your interiors at high tide to examine the underside at low tide? Um, yes, we have. We've actually beached our boat many times um you've got to be in the right place to do it of course and um it's great that we've beached our boat uh, probably a total of four times in the last nine years and um, it's easy to do in the right conditions and we did it uh, because i wanted to be able to clean the bottom we have copper coat and i found with copper coat it's great by the way i, I do like it i do i do do recommend it for most cruisers uh but if you can let it dry out and just do a light sand on it. Um, it tends to reactivate the uh, copper. And so I, I do that. It's easier for me to do that if I dry the boat out. And so I can easily do that on, on a sand sandy slope with a pretty good, you know, one and a half to two meter uh, tight swing, makes it really easy to be able to uh, dry the boat out. Uh, um, next question is, does, has anybody created a maintenance schedule? And if so, was that schedule useful?
1: Yes. So, okay. Um, so yes, I actually inherited a, a, a spreadsheet from the previous owner that he had started to put some things together and I just went through and continued to do it. And so it has a, you know, one tab of um, spare parts and where they're located on the boat and how many I have and how many I think I need. And then it has another tab that basically has uh, where I use those spare parts on the engines or the water maker or um, the diesel generator or any of those other places. And, you know, what engine hours and what date. And um, I find that extremely useful. I, I look at it all the time. You know, I check it probably at least once a week and make sure that um, I don't have any issues that pop up for me because I have it set up in a way that, you know, it says you have, a, you have a, uh, an item needing attention based on either engine hours or date. And uh, it, it, for me, just helps me stay on track with everything. So, yeah, I find it absolutely essential.
0: Yeah, I do as well. We have one on, on our boat, too, and I think it's very important. Uh, the next question is, yeah. do you haul out annually? Anybody haul out, you know, on an annual basis? I know you do, Russ. Anybody else? We don't. Uh aboard field trips, So we haul out maybe, depending on where we are, every maybe three years. Um sometimes well it's been for us now, it's been three and a half years since we've hauled out the last time. So uh we just don't for us it's not necessary because we have copper coat on the bottom. You don't need to replace that, but once every possibly once every um, you know, seven or so years. So the reasons mm-hmm. to haul out for us since we're on the boat full time are pretty thin. We don't have sail drives. You do need to haul out sail drives to service them. Um, and so we just, we're in the water three or four, three years, usually, between two and three years easily before we have to haul out. Anybody else? Um, the final question we have here from Eric, and then we'll open it up to any more questions that we may have is, is there anything in the design or build of your interiors that makes maintenance easier? And conversely, is there anything in the design or build that makes maintenance more of a challenge? So. Can anybody think about what on the interiors makes the maintenance easier? We've already talked about the engine access. Um, and that's, from my viewpoint, that's a big one. It's very easy to just open up the entire, uh, floorboards to get access to everything on the engines. Um, and you know, anybody else want to jump in? I can't think of anything that would make things harder. Go ahead.
3: Mark, again. Um, I think, when you bear in mind that the chief designer was Ted Clemens and he ran a boat yard for 20 years, uh, you understand why everything is so easy to work on because not only did you have a guy who was very experienced at maintaining a fleet of boats, uh, he obviously designed making everything easy to work on. And so really, I have to say, compared to other boats, the Andaris uh, for a similar level of sophistication is so much easier to work on, on, on just about every department.
1: Yeah, I'd like to echo yeah. Russ's response um, and just say, to a previous catamaran, the...
0: Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, yeah so just, I'm in short, everything on the Antares has been so much easier for me to work on versus our previous catamaran. And I just appreciate it greatly, especially as someone who does, you know, probably 98% of the work on the boat themselves. It just, it's a joy for me to actually work on this boat. It just really is.
0: So, Hey, Russell, I think that you've got a very different perspective than some of us because you've owned a catamaran before different manufacturer. Um, can you just maybe talk a little bit more about what specific items you think are easier to work on? Um, because my perspective is very different because this is the main only caterman I've owned outside of a Hobie cat. (laughs) So that doesn't count.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So so you know, like we've talked about the the, the engines obviously, and then even you know the, the generator, being able to stand up and look at it at eye level versus laying on your belly trying to squirm around it in a sugar scoop on another catamaran is is a joy. Um, you know, being able to get behind It's okay.
0: So I, I think we got the main gist of it that, that you think that the and okay. the that the materials um, overall based on your previous catamaran access to a lot of the things is is from your perspective a lot easier
1: yeah and that, what i wanted to add was just even like, being able to take panels down and get to things behind uh what would i would call even the woodwork or the ceiling panels Everything is accessible. You can take it off, get to it, and put it back on. And I can tell you from previous ownership, that is, that is not the case on a lot of other catamarans.
0: Because the world's best live aboard with, with other people. And just be candid about it because we're owners. and We've owned the boats for very long, long times in most cases. I think with that, we will uh, call it a wrap and just thank everybody for your attendance. And um, that's good. So thank you.